Welcome to the Unveiling Grace podcast, a place to find freedom from the shame and pressure of performance-based religion. Enjoy another episode with Lynn Wilder and Joel Grote as they and their guests share personal stories and wisdom from the Bible that just might surprise you. We invite you to experience a grace that heals. Welcome back to the Unveiling Grace podcast. I'm Lynn Wilder. And I'm Joel Grote. And we are doing a series, Lynn and I, on the seven reasons why we left Mormonism. And that refers not to me and Lynn, it refers to Lynn and Mike. Uh, It's a book that they wrote to help them process and answer the question, well, why would you leave Mormonism after being very involved, having high callings? Um, Lynn was a tenured BYU professor why would you leave? And so to answer that question, they put together this book where they said, here are the seven main reasons. Um, They're doctrinal. They go right to core issues of Mormonism. And in our previous episode, we addressed um, the first two, which were the Book of Mormon and the claims that it makes to surpass the Bible, be better than the Bible, undermine the Bible's authority, and just how that's offensive to Christians, how it's really a slap in the face to God himself, um, who gave us the Bible as his word, And then we went into the second one, which was the whole concept of LDS authority, because within Christianity, the ultimate authority for a Christian is the person of Jesus Christ and what we have from him and what we have from God revealed in the Bible as his word. And so scripture is that authority. And so no matter what you feel like, there isn't any pastor, there isn't any leader, there isn't anybody who we accept could come along and either add to scripture or take away from it or change the clear teaching of the Bible. And yet, what we have from the mouths of LDS leaders from the time of Joseph Smith forward is exactly the opposite. The claim that no LDS leaders actually have more authority of the Bible. They can, they can call what other even Mormon prophets have said, false doctrine. They can make changes. They can add to the scriptures. And um, as we were finishing up, there was one, and we've been using quotes from Mormon leaders to illustrate this, just so people have a taste of what they've said. And uh, the one that we didn't mention in the last episode Um, to kind of tie this in together was one from the current LDS prophet, Russell M. Nelson. And he made this statement. Um, He said, when the prophet speaks, the debate is over. Now, to anybody who's dealt with authoritarian religion, high demand religion, those words should send chills up and down your spine because what's happening there is the claim to ultimate unquestionable authority that has no accountability and nothing that can call it either wrong or false. In other words, if you accept that when the current, and this is the current, whoever the current leader happens to be, whenever he speaks, there is no debating. There is no questioning. It's as if God himself has spoken and it doesn't take much investigation into history and leaders who have said similar things from other religious systems to see the danger and the peril that is. And and to Christians, it's just kind of like downright arrogant. Um, Besides being scary, it's just like, it is so different from how we view um, if a pastor or any Christian leader or author, no matter how famous they were, if they were ever to stand up and say, when I speak, the debate is over. It is the last word. People would run so fast from that. And yet 
within LDS culture, it is such an accepted part of how you view authority and life. Many times they don't even stop to question that. And so again, we're doing this series not so people can make fun of Mormonism or bash it. Um, it's more so people understand really the difference in the worldviews between Christianity and Mormonism. And so Christians have something with which to encourage Mormons to research, investigate, and ask them, is this something you really hold to? And if you do hold to it, have you ever thought about the implications of that for your life? Well, that particular um, quote, I think, originally came from the general young women's president. And then, of course, the prophet picked it up and and um, and quoted it because he agreed with it, um, which I found interesting that it came originally from a woman. Right. The yes, it was a word. I think it was a word teacher's message that was given because it's been that earlier quote has been quoted. And in fact, I've had Mormons tell me, oh, you shouldn't use that quote. That that isn't anything that should be considered authoritative. Um, and yet the prophet himself picked it up. Yes. And used it. Well, it's powerful because if you get people to believe that you can tell them anything you want and they have no option except to accept you your authority and what you're teaching is it's a way of bringing well, people in line here is the big difference with christianity you come to a pastor like that he's going to say search it out for yourself open the right. word of god see what he says uh, maybe i'm wrong on that you know if you if you've got a pastor who knows he knows he knows and it's top down that's always a red flag in yes. biblical Christianity, the Bible itself itself says, test the spirits, and you test them against the Word of God because you can trust the Word of God. And in Mormonism, we never, I never tested anything in my faith. I just followed blindly. Yes. In fact, um, one of the last lessons I taught when I was Mormon was to sixteen laurels who were seniors. And, the and so for the, for the Christians listening who are laurels, yes. laurels are young laurels Mormon are women. Laurels between 16 and 18. Um, so they would be juniors and seniors in high school. And I was teaching them in Sunday school, kind of a Sunday school setting. And the lesson was on faith. And my, <laughs> the assistant pastor or the member of the bishopric, was sitting in on my lesson, which he did every once in a while to check, make sure I was being, right. you know, accurate. <laughs> yes. And I kept using the term faith from the lesson and he kept saying, no, it's blind faith. And I finally said to him, blind faith is not in this lesson. Nowhere in this lesson does it say blind faith, but that's a typical Mormon belief that you right. follow blindly. You literally just follow the church and follow the prophet blindly. That's anti-biblical. Yeah. So, and here's what happens when you allow that level of teaching, when there are no checks and balances, what you end up with is a point like we have for number three, which is the point that the LDS teaching is that God is progressing and so are you. So you want to Explain that a little bit more and, and why that is a reason why you and Mike left Mormonism. What you discovered about the God of the Bible 
that made you say, wow, this teaching is a reason we have to leave? Well, who wants a God who's still learning for peace's <laughs> sake? But Lynn, it makes him more relatable. On... <laughs> We're all still learning, right? It makes us, you know, he's like more like us. We can kind of relate to him more because and that is the bottom line. Here. He's more like a man than he is like God. Yeah. I realized the God of the Bible was huge. He's not still learning. He's not still learning. He knew all <laughs> things from the beginning. I mean, he knows all things. He created all universes. He, um, the God of Mormonism is so much smaller. He's more like a brother. He's more like a man. Right. Right. He's got foibles and he changes his mind, you know? So this eternal progression thing is a little bit demeaning to the God of the Bible. Yes. This is a man. This is a man. This is not a God. Right. And and you have the God of the Bible actually almost anticipating that someone would try to teach this because in, especially the book of Isaiah chapters 43, 44, 45, 46, over and over, you have God saying, um, I don't change. I've always been the same. There is no other God but me. Before yeah. me, there have been no gods formed. After me, there aren't going to be any other gods formed. I'm it, guys. I am the everything, the sum total. I am all powerful. I am all knowing. I am all everywhere loving. present. I am all loving. There is nothing greater, bigger outside of me, and there never will be. And when scripture isn't your ultimate authority, then a man can come along like Joseph Smith and say, hey, hey, we've imagined to suppose that God was God from all eternity. I'm going to refute that idea and I'm going to take away the veil so you can truly see that God was actually a man like us. And he progressed yeah. to be a God and he had a father before him and a father before him and a God, the father before him. Yeah. And that's where this idea can lead. And it's not true. It's not biblical. And it cannot be harmonized in any and again, in all these points, we should say, we're not saying that LDS people aren't allowed to believe this. Um, people have the freedom to believe whatever they want. LDS leaders have the freedom to believe whatever they want. What you can't do is you can't call these teachings Christian or biblical or anything that is compatible with historic biblical Christianity, that it's not. I wish I had dime for every time my husband, Mike, says that throughout the day. <laughs> this is America. You have freedom. You can believe whatever you want, but don't call yourself Christian because these things are not Christian. It is not Christian to believe that a man can make himself righteous enough to become a God. Yeah. So what are some of the quotes you have for this whole eternal progression thing? Because for somebody who's new to Mormonism and who's maybe just heard their Mormon friends or neighbors talk about, well, we believe in the same God. We believe God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This might be something. A major, well, yeah. Yeah. It's like, well, where different. are you getting that? Are you sure that's really what Mormons teach and believe? So we're going to go to some quotes. Um, the ultimate goal of eternal progression is to receive eternal life. Okay. In Mormonism, eternal life has to be earned through temple works and to become as God is. That's pretty, you yeah. know, that's pretty clear. Brigham Young said. The people who said the previous quote is Milton R. Hunter. He was a general authority in the Mormon church. Um, and that's in his book, Christ in Ancient America, page 168. So 
Yes, I have references for all of these. Brigham Young said, the God that I serve is progressing eternally, and so are his children. They will increase to all eternity if they are faithful. And that's from the Journal of Discourses. You have one other quote that I want to read, because again, it goes to this whole idea that because God is progressing, because God started as a man like us, that opens the door for us to follow in his footsteps and that we too can progress to become like God is now. Now, to be fair to the LDS system, we'll never catch up to God because God will continue to move ahead of us, move higher than us, move forward. So, but at some point, we certainly have the potential in the future to be where God is now. By the time we get there, he'll have moved on. But this whole idea of progression is a continual thing. And it says human, finite human people can progress to become gods. So this one is from Joseph Fielding Smith, again, one of the prophets of the Mormon church. Um, he wrote a book called The Way to Perfection. Um, this is from page nine. Don't know if it's the paperback edition or the digital edition. On some of these page numbers, because the Mormon church has produced multiple editions, some pagination might be off. But if you search it, you're going to find the quote. So here's what he said. He said, Latter-day Saints believe in this progression in eternity until eventually we become worthy through knowledge, wisdom, humility, and obedience to be like God and then to have the privilege of being made equal in power, might, and dominion. Yay! And to possess all that the Father hath as members of the Church of the Firstborn, period. Okay. He goes on to say, so... If such mighty blessings are promised to those who are willing to keep the whole law unto the end, are they not to continue on in the road of perfection after the resurrection until the fullness is reached and they shall be like our eternal father? And notice who's not mentioned in any of this, the person of Jesus. This is us becoming worthy through our gaining knowledge, through our getting wisdom, through our humility, through our obedience. When in Christianity, everything we have that rightly relates us to God is a gift that comes in and through Jesus. And yet in this context, Jesus is not even mentioned. I'm going to ask you a question about something you said. So um, this actually comes from the Doctrine and Covenants 76. So this is Mormon scripture. He's, yes. he's referring to Mormon scripture. And um, 84, Doctrine and Covenants 84.38, those two places. Yes. Now you said that they might possess all that the Father hath, but is the Father of Mormonism really omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipowerful. Not really, Joel, well, no, right? He can't be because he's progressing. And if he's got more to add on, but that's what, if you, and this is where it can be really confusing. If you've got an LDS friend or someone, you know, or a coworker, as you start to talk to them about their concept of God, you may find that they think, or that the God they believe in is a God who is all powerful, who is all present. And yet if that's the God they believe in, it's not the God of Mormonism because that's... the God of Mormonism can't be any of those things by virtue of what these quotes that we've just read talk about. So 
that's <laughs> it's a very and good for question, me, Lord. that's the bottom line. You have a different God, a different nature of God. If the LDS God is eternally progressing, then he hasn't known all things from the beginning. So he's not omniscient. Right. Today, he's not omniscient because he's going to keep learning. Right. Since he has a body of flesh and bone, he ha- he has a material body that confines him to that material body. He can't be omnipresent. He right. Can't he's be bounded. All places. Yeah. But once he's not spirit like the God of the Bible, and because he doesn't know all things and he can't be all places, he can't be all powerful because it doesn't have all knowledge, right? Right. So this is not the God of the Bible. God of the Bible fits those three categories. He knows all things. He can be all places and he has all power. Yeah. This is good stuff. What is our, what's our next one? Well, because we have a different nature of God, I think it's interesting to also point out that we have a different nature of man in Mormonism. So in the Bible, Adam and Eve partook of the fruit. That was a bad thing. It brought sin into the world and, and disease and all these negative things, right? But Mormonism, I was taught it was a fall upward, that Eve was smart. But wait a minute, the very lie of Satan. This is so interesting. The entire Bible is about God puts these people in the garden, offers them the gospel in relationship with him, and they choose something else. And the lie from Satan is this, from Genesis 3, 5, for God knows Now, when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. Yeah, that's Lucifer, Satan talking. Right. That is a lie. And that's what the Mormon church is built on. That, yes, that's true. You just, Eve ate of the fruit. That was a smart thing to do. And now we can be like God. No, that, that lie sets Satan up to be the antichrist spirit to fight against the Jesus, the Bible, the entire Bible has the struggle going on. And yet Mormonism chooses to be on the side of Satan who says you will be like God. And that's a lie. And they choose to follow that lie. That was scary to me when I realized that. Yeah. And um, hopefully not going to step on too many toes with this, but I think the LDS temple ceremony has been out there long enough in so many different forms to me when I finally got access, because I was, I was interested. I'd heard a lot of things. I thought I've got a chance to look at it. The thing that struck me most about the LDS temple endowment ceremony was the fact that Lucifer appears multiple times and Lucifer only teaches things that are true about Mormonism. In other words, when Lucifer comes and appears and has things to say, he's either teaching things out of the book of Mormon or he's teaching things to Adam and Eve that are true Mormon doctrine. And so even within the temple ceremony, Lucifer is a source of truth. He's not a source of lies. Plus, he's a source of authority because he says, put on your aprons. <laughs> right. Obeys. And everybody does. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah. So it's just a, and it's a sobering, well, Satan is a cunning enemy. Um, and I think 
that's something that we should never take for granted, no matter who you are, is that Satan is real. He's a personal spirit. He is the enemy of God. He wants to do everything he can to separate man from that intimate, authentic, close, dependent relationship on God. And, and the way he does that is by telling people they don't need God. They don't need his authority. They can be their own God. And that is the core message at the end of the day of the whole LDS religious system. And, and like for people like you and Mike, when your eyes are opened and you see where this has come from and you see what the God of the Bible has actually said, it's sobering and scary and you want to move away from that. It's a reason to leave. So. And it's a reason to choose this much bigger God who is loving and merciful and full of justice and able to keep his word together and just turn away from falseness. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. You don't have to hit against the falseness. What you have to do is figure out what's true and then get that into your soul and, uh, and become healed and whole. Right. And the single best way to do that is to go to the scripture and read it and say, Holy Spirit, you inspired these words. You can open my eyes, give me understanding to see because God hasn't hidden his word. And just like Jesus said, he said, I haven't taught anything in secret. I've taught openly, clearly, plainly. And that's the way God has revealed truth. And so if you want to know what God has said, you go to the word and with an open heart, open mind, the eyes, the trusting eyes of a child, and you're going to see and hear and understand. And it's going to be amazing when that impacts your life and, and transforms it. So one of the, one of the reasons why I learned to trust the Bible was I realized Jesus himself trusted the Bible. Jesus quoted it all the time. Therefore he saw it as authoritative he saw it as true and um that was good enough for me yeah yep and we've got about a couple minutes um so shall we go ahead and let people know what we're going to look at in the next episode because we're i think ready to get into number four which is the whole faith plus works equals LDS exaltation, which is synonymous with eternal life in the presence of heavenly father. But faith plus works is not the biblical system or the biblical teaching. Although Joel, according to the Pew Institute, a study that they did a few years ago, something like 60% of the Christians in the United States do believe that it is grace plus works. And wow. that's how you say. So, but but let me so let me end with this little tidbit. Okay. To get you excited about the next <laughs> episode. All right. This is from Spencer W. Kimball. He was the president of the church, prophet of the church when Mike and I were there. Yep. This is a famous quote from him. It's in his book, The Miracle of Forgiveness. One of the most fallacious doctrines originated by Satan and propounded by man is that man is saved alone by the grace of God. 
that belief in Jesus Christ alone is all that's needed for salvation. Wow. He, he says that's a fallacious doctrine that comes from Satan, the idea that you could be saved by grace alone. And yet the Bible repeats it over and over and over and over. It's oh, very my clear. heart. Yeah. I mean, the whole series that we did on the new covenant, the whole basis of the new covenant is that it's now a covenant's agreement. It's a contract. It's a relationship with God that's based on what Jesus did for us. And it's given to us as a gift of grace freely. Mm -hmm. Wow. That, oh. That's that's powerful. Um, and I noticed that's that he goes on later in that same book, Lynn, to say this, quote, and however powerful the saving grace of Christ, it brings exaltation to no man who does not comply with the works of the gospel which in Mormon speak is the Mormon gospel is the whole Mormon system that includes baptism for the dead, temple work, abstaining from tea, coffee, alcohol, tobacco, giving a 10% tithe, following the prophet. That is all part and parcel of the gospel. And according to him, even the powerful saving grace of Christ can't touch you if you don't comply with all that stuff. Oh, okay. That's where we're <laughs> yeah. going to pick up next time. So that's a great subject. It literally took me two years to understand God's grace. Even after I'd given my life to him, it's a very foreign concept that you can be saved alone by grace through faith. So we'll talk about that next time, Joel. Sounds Until good. next time. Grace and peace to you. So long. Thanks so much for listening to the Unveiling Grace podcast. You can find show notes and leave us your comments and questions at unveilinggracepodcast.com. We would love to hear how the podcast has helped you. We are so grateful for you, our listeners, and the donations that keep us on the air. To say thank you, we are offering a free gift with a donation of any amount. Just go to unveilinggracepodcast.com and click on the free gift button to get yours. Thanks for joining us on the Unveiling Grace podcast, where you can experience a grace that heals.